Alright, what is up everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is episode 37, which is for 2015, week 15 coming up. And the Browns, of all things, are coming off a victory, 24-10 of course, over the 49ers. We'll talk about that, we'll talk about the upcoming road trip to the clink to meet the Legion of Boom and how poorly that could possibly go under the worst of circumstances. And we'll also even, uh, as we are, of course, obligated to do on this podcast, um, Mr. Leister and I will give you a, a prediction that requires a Browns win. So we'll figure out some way to get there over the course of the next half hour. Or so this is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. And joining me from the heart of Ohio is our friend Brendan Leister. How's it going, man? Doing good. Just getting ready for Christmas break. I'm about to head out today. How are you doing? Oh uh, man, I remember Christmas break. I don't have that much, so much anymore in the uh, in the working world. But um, but I do get a few days off. It's going to be nice. Doing well. It is actually semi chilly here in SoCal. It's down. It's been down in the 30s at night, which does not happen here. I know Clevelanders are giggling at me for calling that ridiculous but it's ridiculous in southern california to be at 30 degrees on the beach at night nevertheless um still blue sky no snow on the ground easy to get around and do things you like to do so we don't complain about it um and we don't complain brendan about brown's victories and especially not thorough brown's victories and that's what this was and and Petten said it of course after the game probably the most complete game they've played in all three phases all season and of course you can temper it however much you want to with the fact that the 49ers just aren't very good. But there were things to take from this game, and I think the obvious one is the quarterback play, that were awfully positive. Um, and, and actually, in addition to the quarterback play, this was clearly the best game the defense has played. Um, now, I, I do put a lot of that at the 49ers' feet. This is not a powerful on- offensive team, and they were on the road. They were coming off a road victory, so the likelihood of them getting two in a row was pretty limited. Uh, there, there were a lot of things working in the Browns' favor in this game. But, to their credit, they went out, they took advantage of things. Manziel played mostly composed, smart football, with the exception of about two really bad plays. And uh, other than that, I, I just thought it was a, this was the kind of team I kind of expected to see them be earlier in the year. You know, they ran the ball effectively for the first time all season. They got pass rush for the second time all season. I think they've got about 80% of their sacks in, in the Niners game and the, and the Titans game. Aside from that, they haven't done squat. And as we all know, they haven't run the ball well. But they did both in this game. And uh, it allowed them to play the kind of football that, that Petten was always talking about them playing. You know, ball control offense, smart, aggressive defense. And um, and they got it done. What what did you see? I know you have some thoughts specifically on the run game, so why don't we start there? Um, it, just tell us what you what you kind of noticed in going back and watching over the game, and and how the run game was able to be successful. But then feel free to expound on the game in general. Yeah, so something that really stood out when I uh, studied the all twenty two on the film of the offense. I didn't really spend any time watching the defense on it, but on the offensive side, I noticed that um, Mangini was putting only six guys in the box most of the game. He wasn't covering the center, so they weren't playing a 3-4 much at all. They only played it a little bit here and there. For the most part, they were in a in a 2-4. They had two, uh, two techniques, which are defensive linemen that line up head up over the guards, and then they had two edge players, and then they had two inside linebackers. So they had six guys in the box, regardless pretty much of what the Browns were doing. So the Browns would come out in 11 personnel, which were the running back and the tight end, three receivers. And 
49ers only have six guys in the box. So you just look at the guys up front for the Browns. <laughs> I will take tight that end. Yeah. Five, yeah. yeah. A tight end, five linemen, and a running back. So it's seven guys in the box, eight if you count the quarterback, but they didn't run any, any read option or anything like that. So the Browns really had their way with the 49ers running the ball. Um, I was really confused about what Mangini was really trying to do. It seemed like he was trying to bring a safety down late to help in the box and run support, but the safety consistently all game, they were sitting in too high, um, too high safeties. They'd bring one down at the snap, but he was getting there too late. He didn't have any ability to help and run support. So uh, this is the first time I really saw a team do that against the Browns, and it really didn't work because the run game got rolling. Yeah, I was I – was frankly surprised at the overall effectiveness of the offense. I thought Manziel would play well enough, but one thing that became pretty clear to me in the course of that game was that Mangini doesn't have the personnel to run what he would want to run, ideally. That, that That's clear. I mean, the 49ers lost half their defense and a lot of really good players this offseason, so I think there's that, that, that's just part of where they've gone this offseason. But I did think that the addition of the new left guard who's going to get to keep that job for a little while, and I may butcher his last name, it's Austin. Do you know what it is? Do you know how to say it? I think it's Pastor. Yeah, okay. We'll go with that for this one. I was going to say that, but it just looked a little too... uh, It didn't look complicated enough. There's a Z in there somewhere. So uh, Mm -hmm. so Austin Pastor played really well at left guard. Petten went out and said as much yesterday in his presser and said he's going to get the opportunity to continue there. And obviously, when the team that hasn't run the ball all season suddenly puts up 200-plus... Um, something is going right. Now, that math you, you referred to in terms of how many guys they faced in the box, and to me, that's, that's different than what a lot of teams have been doing to this team because, I mean, for a couple of years now, they've basically been loading the box and daring you to beat them with the pass, and they've been largely unable to do it for any number of obvious reasons. Um, they seem to be a little more able to do it under this guy, and I'm, I want to talk about the quarterback because, look, this is going to be a fascinating fascinating several weeks if Johnny Manziel lives through them with relative um, success. And by relative success, I mean you can't go into Seattle and expect that Johnny Manziel with this Browns team is going to be that Seahawks team when that Seahawks team really still needs these wins. So you have to begin to sort of form your expectations in a different place, right? And if he can get out there and just get the ball out on time the way he did against the Niners and just find the quick open ball like he did against the Niners, yeah, you're going to miss some things because you're a rookie quarterback. And there were a couple of those in this game that people are going to vine and put up, you know, the image from the All-22 of Duke Johnson running down the left sidelines or Gary Barnage running down the middle. That is going to happen. That happens to some of the best quarterbacks in the league, but that's definitely going to happen uh, to a guy making his fifth start. So honestly, that stuff doesn't bother me at all in the context of he was still out there managing the offense appropriately. He was basically doing the job of an NFL quarterback. He was getting them into good run looks, which I think is underrated by the average fan. And, uh, And frankly, I just... I like the composure. I mean, there were times at which the Niners chose to kind of just keep him in the pocket by not rushing. He handled that well, stood there and waited for the ball to come free. And when he needed to, he got out. What we're not seeing nearly as much of is him just one look and, oh, God, I got to get out of here because I'm going to get killed. That isn't happening anymore. He looks very composed in the pocket. He looks perfectly comfortable. When things break down, he starts to look like Johnny Football and Johnny Manziel, and it does get a little chaotic at moments. But, I mean, look the trajectory we're seeing is one that that's the kind of stuff I'm going to live with for a while. I'm going to have a real hard time with a decision. If he looks like he's done the past couple of weeks, I'm going to, or his past couple of starts anyway, 
I'm going to have a real hard time with a decision that involves getting rid of that group of guys, meaning Manziel, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback coach. And I know we've been over this a million times, but to, so, so really focus it in on the play, what you saw. Uh, we'll get to the offseason stuff when the time comes. What, what you saw this week against the Niners. Because I saw, yet again, I, I know the numbers were better against Pittsburgh, but I thought this was still um, a slightly even better performance. Um, so tell me what you thought. Yeah, I was impressed by the way that he played. I thought that uh, I thought that the run game really helped. You know, when you can get the run game rolling like that, keep the offense on schedule, that's really helpful. I thought he did a great job of understanding what the defense was trying to do, getting the ball out on time to the open man. I mean, there was a few times where he missed some, you know, open guys. But that happens to every quarterback. I don't think you'd find any all-22 film of any quarterback, whether it be Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, anyone that doesn't miss a wide-open receiver from time to time. I'm not saying that he's like that. He misses more than those guys, obviously. But all the guys miss a guy from here to there. And what's important is how they bounce back from it. And do they um, learn from the it the next thing. time they get that look? You know, I mean, to me, that's the thing for Manziel yeah. is it, it, the, the, the place where actual game reps helps the most is you start to see from the on-field position as opposed to looking at a film shot. You start to see from your position at quarterback what different looks look like, how different players um, set themselves up to disguise looks. I mean, that is the stuff that can only come with experience, but I only think that stuff is of value if you've done all the study leading up to that such that attempting to make those reads and determinations is actually something you know how to do. And that to me is where Manziel has gotten himself uh, as an NFL quarterback that I think a lot of people assumed he'd never get. And that's why it's intriguing to me. If he's going to study and, and know what he's supposed to do, and I'll give you my favorite example of it from this game. It was the touchdown to Barnage, right? It, it was a disguised mm -hmm blitz I mean it wasn't well disguised it was a blitz it was coming it wasn't real obvious at the outset where it was from but Manziel knew obviously by the way the play worked out he knew immediately that what he needed to do was get deep and hit Barnage right he he took a pretty deep drop pretty quickly out from under center mm -hmm. with that ball and fired an absolute strike to Barnage off that little rub route to the outside and that that's not an easy NFL play for anybody from 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 getting that depth from number one identifying the blitz to knowing which route it was supposed to be that he needed to beat the blitz, to getting the ball out from under center and way back away from the offensive line and the defensive ends, and to throwing the absolute strike to Barnage. That's a hell of an NFL play on the goal line for a touchdown. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and something that we're seeing that you know is unfamiliar to Manziel up to this yeah. point is he's part of the pass protection scheme. You know, When the defense brings an extra man – that's unaccounted for by his pass protection, you know, the guys around him, he is a part of the pass protection. He has to get the ball out when that sixth or seventh right. or eight man And you have to know, comes. you have to know that you have to do that. And you only know you have to do that if you've studied enough to understand those numbers and your responsibilities. Exactly. And we've seen, what we're seeing now is the preparation, the work in the classroom with, with Flip, with uh, Kevin O'Connell, you know, it's all paying off and we're seeing the progress. I think I was just looking at, you know, the his grades on Pro Football Focus. And I know that a lot of people don't like Pro Football Focus for this reason or that reason. But it was interesting to me because every start that he's had this year, every time he's played significant snaps, I think his grade went up. Yeah. So it started out the year, it was like a negative 3.1 or something. And then the Titans game was like negative 1. And then the next time he played significant snaps against the Bengals, it was like right around 0. 
And then I think the Steelers game was like a one, and this past game was like a two. So, you know, we're seeing him progress each time. He's learning from his mistakes, and he's getting better. And in spite of the one play here or there where he makes a bad mistake, he might lose his composure here and there, he's making up for it with the consistent plays that every good quarterback needs to make. And that's what's so promising and encouraging about his play. That's a perfect way of putting a lot of that. Um, the, the protection point to me is a, is a huge one. I, I know if you go back and listen to what, for example, John Gruden said during that, you know, I always forget what the name is, Gruden's QB camp or whatever it is during the spring, yeah. right before the draft where he meets with each guy. And he meets with Manziel, and he, the first thing he's doing is showing him Drew Brees and protection management, right? It's all about knowing, are you protected? And if you're not, what is your responsibility as the quarterback to manage that fact? Is it to move somebody in motion so that you are? Is it to change the protection? Is it to just make the appropriate read and get the damn ball out of your hands? Well, Manziel has clearly, to me, the last couple of weeks shown that he's, got, he's gotten a substantial ability to do that from the course of the beginning of this year to now. He didn't have that stuff down those first couple of games he played. And I think he had it about to where it needed to be for Cincinnati, but he still wasn't taking those early read shot not shots he wasn't taking the early just get it done ball and he's doing that now the ball is coming out when it's there and if it's not he's not panicking back there he's still taking the next read and eventually he'll get out and what what Petten said this uh, I think it was yesterday in his presser but he's made the point a few times and this was in uh, in comparison to Russell Wilson actually and I've got a comment or two about how those comments blew up but um, one of the things he was saying is that both those guys when they're getting out of the pocket it, it's first and foremost to do damage with their arms, and I've, I've seen that with Manziel. That was, that was one of those things that I liked about him in college, frankly. He wasn't – I mean, he, he ran more than he's going to the NFL for sure, but he was always looking to make big plays downfield, and, and you have to sort of evolve your idea as a quarterback of what the right big play to look for in those situations is in the NFL because guys make up ground more and, and all that. But he's shown a pretty nice knack these past couple of weeks for knowing when the appropriate time is to move and then finding the guy downfield. I mean, he made a number of plays, but it had to be a handful of plays like that where the original play wasn't there and he had to make something happen, and he did. The 30-yarder to Barnage, there, was a, there were a couple of them to Heartline. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm going to try and temper it again because it's a couple of weeks, but I really like what I'm seeing from the quarterback, and I, I hope we continue to like it such that we don't have to, um, well, you know, you guys all know what we hope. We hope he's an awesome quarterback. So, you know, the rest of the game from the defensive side of the ball, I guess I was pleased that there wasn't the back-breaking big play. You know, they, they held the 49ers relatively in check. And, again, we must remember that the 49ers are not the most explosive offensive team in the league. But, nevertheless, a nice overall complete performance from the squad. Uh, was there anything that – I know you – said you didn't get a chance to study the defense on the uh, on the coaches film but um anything that stood out in terms of performance or or something they were doing different or was this just a game where they sort of kept it tight i didn't notice anything different about what they were doing but i might if i were to study the film closer obviously but something that did stand out was just the improvement of some of the young players you know some steps forward they made nate orchard had a couple sacks um, I will say that one of them, he was going up, or might have been both, but he was going against a tight end or a fullback on one of those plays, I know. So that's kind of questionable pass protection by the 49ers. But um, there was 
he he looked better than he has. Um, Xavier Cooper, I think I saw him make a couple plays, and he really has struggled this year, um, especially in the run game. I thought I saw him penetrate in the backfield once. I think he was in there on a sack also. So that was encouraging to see. Um, Charles Gaines really stood out. I thought it seems like he's really made progress. Um, I think he started this past week, and he played a lot. And um, I, I just saw him breaking on some, you know, some comebacks, some uh, deep uh, post or not not post route, but curl. I think there was a curl route that he broke up. I just saw him. He was always around the receiver that he was covering when the ball was thrown his way. And we haven't seen that always from the young cornerbacks this year. And then another guy that I thought uh, played better was Kirksey. I just I saw him make a splash play. Uh, he stood out a couple times. So it's good to see those young players make sure. some progress. Yeah, for sure. That was the main thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I agree with that. I'm glad you brought that up because I would have forgotten. And, and it was something you and I texted about either during the game or shortly after. And I agree with you. It was nice to see a lot of those young guys making, you know, pretty substantial contributions. Even Marlon Moore on offense getting into the act. Not a young guy. Mm-hmm. Special teamer. Fun stuff. Um, but looking ahead, it's a hell of a stretch to close the season, right? You're at Seattle. You're at Kansas City, both of whom are playing some of the best football in the NFL right now. And then, of course, you close it out with, uh, with the Steelers, who will probably need that game coming into Cleveland Week 17. With the, To me, again, we've been talking about since the preseason what was going to be and has proven to be basically the league's most explosive offense. And they're still short um, one of their best players, maybe even a couple. And it's it's – it's a dangerous game, obviously. So it's going to be interesting to see how this, you know, three and ten team handles this rough stretch going down uh, down the stretch. And, and I do think there is an opportunity here for the front office coaching staff situation to kind of be affected by the way these last three games play out. The quarterback situation certainly. So, you know, if you're looking for reasons to watch, I think the future of the organization is still very much up in the air. Um, I know you have to assume that Haslam is leaning towards pretty substantial changes, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. Should they go out and perform reasonably well, and should the quarterback look like he's going to be worth keeping? Because I, I still believe that Johnny Manziel has the power to sway Jimmy Haslam one direction or the other rather easily. And so we'll see how that all plays out. Um, starts this Sunday in Seattle. I will not be making the trip. I've I've made that uh, – decision to see my three and 10 football team get lambasted by the Seattle Seahawks in their home. I love it up there in Seattle. I wish I could come see y'all, but uh, yeah, I don't think I'm making the trip as much as I'd like to see the game. Um, I will be cozy in front of my 70 inch HD living room extravaganza. Having said that, I look forward to the game. I think it's going to be interesting. I think um, some of the comments by Mike Pettin that got tweeted yesterday um, will add a little spice to the media flavor, but the bottom line is if you go back and actually see those comments in context, there's really nothing controversial about them. I mean, look, if you want to put Russell Wilson in the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers category, you are more than welcome to do so, and I think there are arguments to be made that he is becoming that kind of of quarterback, but I don't think you can do it on the strength of just the last four games in which he has played like that. Um, you got to wait. It's the body work that matters. And there have been long stretches of, of his career where he's been, albeit a pretty winning quarterback. And in my mind, a clutch quarterback, I don't care whether people believe in those concepts or not. Um, you know, <laughs> there have been stretches where they certainly didn't let Russell Wilson carry the team. Let's put it that way. Uh, but he has done so of late, you know, they've, they expected to hand him a bit more of the keys, uh, this season when they went out and got Jimmy Graham, and you can see the way the offense is sort of shifting to becoming Russell Wilson's team, partially by necessity because they've lost Marshawn Lynch. But 
he's playing really good football of late. Let's just leave it at that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this game. This is a football team in the Seahawks that is playing their best football. They need this game. They're at home. Um, and they're playing an obviously inferior opponent. I mean, I don't, I don't care what else we say. Those things are facts. And so I, I, I think this game has the potential to get out of hand. So what I'm looking for is a Browns team that competes for 60 minutes and keeps the game relatively within striking distance. I mean, I know that's not the sexiest or most appealing of uh, goals, but that's, if I'm being real about it, that's what I would hope to see in this game. Do it, it's the NFL, so anything could happen. You get a couple of turnovers, maybe a special teams touchdown, you can steal a victory, and that's that's the way I would. When we get to the predictions, that's how I'll get us there. <laughs> but um, but I think based on the way these two teams have played, um, the predictable result should be obvious. So tell me what you're looking for as it comes down to it. Well, the biggest thing is just to see progress from Manziel. You know, we've already talked about it a lot, but he needs to keep making progress, regardless of the opponents that he's facing. Because in the NFL, every team is tough. I know that some teams have better records than others, but all those guys are getting paid to be great players and all the coaches are getting paid a lot of money. So they, they all have talent and uh, he, I just want to see progress from him. I want to see, I want to see kind of how he handles, you know, being on the road in Seattle. It's a big stage, I think for a young quarterback like Manziel and, and he's so competitive. I mean, we saw it. I'm sure a lot of the listeners, watched his game against Alabama his, his retro freshman year, you know, when he beat them. And obviously that was at Texas A&M, but it's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. I know he's on a losing team now. It's a much different situation, but this guy is the ultimate competitor. We heard, uh, we heard Flip talk about it in the press conference last week, I think, where, you know, in the preseason he was out uh, when they went bowling with the team, his elbow on his right arm was hurt. So he was bowling left-handed and bowling strikes. And, uh, that's how competitive he is. He just, he wants right. to win at everything he does. And I'm really interested to see how he handles it. Uh, I want to see how the Seahawks, you know, what they do up front on defense. I want to see what they do on the back end also. I mean, typically they just do a lot of the same thing all the time and play a lot of cover three. And then they just run a, like a four, three under front a lot of the time, or they'll obviously adjust when they're in nickel sub packages. But um, I'm just interested to see how they handle it. I'm interested to see if somehow the run game is here to stay, but I, I don't see that happening because I just don't see Seattle playing the Browns <laughs> the way that San Francisco did. Yeah. But I just want to see how they come out and play. And, uh, yeah, like you said, they've just got to try to keep it, keep the game close somehow, hope that some, you know, special teams touchdown, some kind of turnover happens. But, um I think it's going to be very hard to sustain offense in this game, especially with Brian Hartline out for the rest of the year because he's really came on in the past month, especially when he's been playing with Manziel this year. Yeah, he's a guy that has kind of a good feel for how to get some openness, and, and Manziel was able to utilize that. And, you know, they might get somebody back from uh, from the concussion protocol this week. They might be able to use Terrell Pryor once or twice on a target. I still think, look, I understand you got to teach that guy how to play the position, but I have no problem with just, come on, get that guy a hot screen somewhere. Just just get him a football in his hands with a little bit of space to work, and let's see what happens. Because um, obviously that's one of the main reasons you're getting him. I don't even care if you want to throw him a ball up in the up in the end zone, although let's not do it against Mr. Sherman, please. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how he handles their defense because as much as they're not, they haven't played as dominant 
a defense as they've played over the course of their their past two Super Bowl seasons, this Seahawks defense is still awfully good. They're still doing things at a very high level, and they're getting better this season. They're 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 improving over the past couple of months, and so I, I I'm just going to be fascinated to see. I don't believe for a moment that there is a you know, don't believe for a moment. There is no moment out there that's going to, no stage, no set of lights that's going to be too big or too bright for Manziel. That doesn't worry me with him at all. Um, he's played on huge stages. He's perfectly comfortable with it. He embraces it. Obviously, limelight is not something with which he is unfamiliar or totally uncomfortable. So that's not what worries me. You can't get ballsy against the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> you, you, you must do the things that are the ordinary drab quarterback play things against the Seattle Seahawks. There's something quick and short there. Take your five yards and move on because you're not going to beat them consistently down the field, especially not with this group of receivers. And, and in terms of team defensive speed, I don't want Johnny running around out there too much. There are guys there that can hit him. And, and they bring it in that secondary. This is not one of those secondaries I want him, you know, sort of backwardly shuffling through as he tries to get a, a first down. Get your ass down, boy. Um, so we'll see how some of that goes. Uh, but I, I do. I really look forward to seeing how the offense, as it's composed, attempts to attack this Seattle defense. And on the other side of the ball, uh, it should be kind of interesting. I mean, th there's nobody the, – the Browns are depleted, and so it's a problem. And the Seahawks are playing at a very high level, but they've lost Thomas Rawls for the season. So now we're going to see what they do on the, on the offensive side in terms of, uh, you know, carries to either Bryce Brown or they, they recently re-signed Kristen Michael. Um, I, you know, I don't really know what to expect aside from I think they'll probably try and spread the Browns out and pick their – matchups and let Wilson go to work um, and, and he'll, he'll of course devastate the Browns on at least three occasions that's my prediction with uh, with like a third down run for 15 yards or so for a first down so I, I worry about that side of the ball strangely enough at the end of this season more than I do the offense uh, you know if you'd have told me in September that my bigger concern going into Seattle would be how the defense handled the Seattle offense I'd have thought to myself well that could be either really bad or really good news and um, I think at three and ten we know which. But what are you looking for, sort of from the as you look at the Browns' defense? I mean, they're they're coming up against the Seattle offense that has, you know, like I say, they're losing, they're losing all their run, their running stars, you know, to injuries. Everybody's just going down like flies out there. But it hasn't seemed to stop them. I mean, it didn't bother them when Lynch went out and Rawls came in. I mean, it took a couple of weeks for them to sort of get their rhythm or whatever, but. Um, they lose Jimmy Graham, of all people, and it doesn't seem to phase him. In fact, they've taken a step up in the pass game. Wilson's just out there peppering Doug Baldwin with touchdown passes. I mean, Baldwin's already got 61 balls caught, 860 yards, and 11 touchdowns. That, I don't think that's the plan for them, but they've shown, and Wilson has shown, um, I mean, he's thrown for 3,300 yards, 26 touchdowns, only seven picks. So they've put a ton more responsibility on him. And, I mean, he's delivered. So when, you, when the Browns are playing the kind of defense they're playing, this isn't the Blaine Gabbert-led 49ers now. This is much more akin to one of the top offenses. So tell me what you're hoping. If you're the defensive side of the ball, how are you dealing with the threat that is Russell Wilson when you know you're not much of a pass-rushing team and you know you're lacking uh, some of your best players on the back end? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just to, uh, you know, limit big plays. That's a big part of it. Also, the offense has to help them out. Uh, if the offense can get ahead, then the Browns will be able to kind of tee off in the pass game a little bit, you know, rushing the passer. 
I thought that was what happened this past week. That was why they got so many sacks. Because when you're a pass rusher and you know the team might run against you or pass, it's much harder for you to just try to rush the quarterback. Because if you get out of your lane, obviously there's going to be a lane for them to run through. So getting ahead early in the game could really help the Browns. But as we've already discussed, I don't really see that happening. But just limiting big plays, stopping the run, like you said, they are depleted uh, when it comes to the running back situation, but I still think that whoever they put back there is just going to run for a good amount of yards because I don't have much I don't have much confidence in the Browns consistently setting the edge, filling, doing the little things in the run game that can you know stop the run, limit those big plays. Um, in the pass game, I would try to contain Wilson in the pocket just because it's kind of what you have to do. When he gets outside the pocket, he's able to emphasize on the edge. Those receivers are all really smart. They're quick. They know how to run a scramble drill extremely well, kind of similar to what we've seen with Barnage, Hartline, uh, Travis Benjamin with Manziel. You know, it's a very similar situation where when Wilson breaks the, breaks the pocket, he has his eyes downfield. Uh, he's able to just kind of make plays. He just does his thing and, it's very similar to what Mandel does, except Wilson's been doing it longer, and he does it at a higher level with more experienced players. So um, I don't have a lot of confidence, but that's what I'm looking for. So basically try to get a lead, try to limit big plays, and try to contain Wilson in the pocket. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of trying. Uh, could be a could be an ugly one this weekend. Let's be real about it. But based on what we've seen, I, I hope that this is one of those games where the Browns are competitive at least. So, um, you know, I think they'll be fired up to go into this atmosphere. I mean, you've got you could definitely go in with a nothing to lose kind of situation, and you've got a quarterback who kind of digs these moments and wants to throw punches. So, I look. It's an NFL Sunday. We've only got a couple more this season, so we should at least embrace it from that standpoint because it's going to be a long, cold winter, most likely, uh, both from the literal and figurative football standpoint. So uh, with that, let's get to some predictions. Um, I went first last week, and since they did win, we're going to keep it steady. I'm going to go first again. I, you know, as we discussed, I think the way the Browns win this game is they get themselves uh, a special teams touchdown, maybe a return for a, for, for a touchdown. I'm not looking for any pick sixes from this group, but it would be nice to get a turnover or two. Perhaps one of the, you know, Bryce Brown has a history of putting the ball on the ground at times, so maybe we can get one from him, and then uh, maybe the defense can come up with a, another big performance, another performance that keeps the team in the game just long enough for the offense to make one last play, maybe get a field goal to win it. So I'm going to say that's how it goes. The Browns win 24-23 to 23 on a last second. Very short, since that's the only way he'll get the ball over the offensive line. Very short field goal to win it by Travis Coons. How about you? I'm going to go with, um, let's see here. I'm going to go 23 to 21. I just, I don't think the Browns are going to be able to get in the end zone a ton of times against Seattle. I just don't see how that happens. But two, two touchdowns and three field goals, uh, short field goals, I might add. I think that gets it done. So 23 to 21 Browns. Yep. Good stuff. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this. I don't know why I am, um, I fully expect them to get drubbed in real life, but I'm looking forward to seeing how, how the offense, in particular, obviously the quarterback, uh, the quarterback responds. Because if this guy goes into Seattle, let's be real about it, with this team, 
and plays like anything we could call even remotely well, you're going to have a real hard time convincing me that, that he can't play eventually in this league as a, as a pretty good quarterback. So, uh, again, I think there is a lot to be decided yet in terms of the organization. I think there is a lot up in the air in terms of what changes may or may not come. I know a lot of people think a lot of things are really certain. I think that's pretty unlikely, but maybe I'm just too optimistic about how the next three weeks might go. And uh, maybe that's just the way we survive as Browns, is with a little blind optimism, fans, or uh, a little blind optimism from, from time to time, we have to get through the day. And with that, we will leave you. This has been episode, I'm forgetting the number, 37 of the Browns Note podcast. This is week 15 of the 2015 season. Please follow my friend and yours, Brendan Leister on Twitter, at Brendan Leister. He just dropped a, uh, his first piece at the OBR. Congratulations, by the way, man, on hooking up with those guys. You're going to be uh, – there's a Joey Bosa scouting report that's up. It is thorough. It is excellent. I suggest everybody go immediately to the Orange and Brown report and read it. And while you're there, I – recommend their premium subscriptions it's not a bad deal and uh, you get a lot of good information so anyway that's a free plug for y'all um and follow me if you would i'm at ftbl sickness on twitter we'll be back next week after a shocking browns victory at the clink talk to you next week everybody go browns <laughs>